The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Dory Clark, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover the most effective marketing ideas to grow your business and career. Don't worry about taking notes, I'm going to do that for you, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, I'm joined by Dory Clark, and we're going to talk about her book, Reinventing You. Define your brand, imagine your future. Dory is a marketing strategy consultant, professional speaker, and frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and the World Economic Forum blog. She has been recognized as a branding expert by the Associated Press, Fortune, and Inc. magazine, and is quoted frequently in the media, including NPR, the BBC, and MSNBC. She has been named to the Huffington Post's 100 must-follow on Twitter list. She is also named one of Inc. Magazine's 100 Great Leadership Speakers for your next conference and recognized in Forbes as one of 25 professional networking experts to watch in 2015. Dory's career has gone through a number of reinventions, including being an award-winning journalist, a presidential campaign spokeswoman, a documentary filmmaker, and having taught marketing at a number of universities, including Tufts University, Duke University, and the University of North Carolina. At the age of 18, she graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Smith College and two years later graduated from Harvard Divinity School. Dory, congratulations on reinventing you and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. It's good to have you here. Can you share with us the story of what led to this book? Absolutely. So in terms of writing Reinventing You, it really started with my own reinvention. As, uh, as you mentioned, I had a lot of different careers. And uh, one of the most uh, abrupt and, uh, and sort of frightening moments for me was I had recently finished graduate school and I had gotten a job as a political reporter at a weekly newspaper in Boston. And you know, I really liked being a, a reporter. It was an interesting profession and one I probably could have been happy in. But about a year into the start of my career, I got called into the HR office and I, I didn't know it was coming, but uh, I left the office and I had been laid off. And it was really the start of the collapse of the newspaper industry in the U.S. You know, we, we couldn't see it at the time, but the internet was really beginning to, uh, to decimate it. But and things, Dory, wasn't yes. that the night before 9-11? Yeah, things got a lot more complicated because I, it turns out I got laid off Monday, September 10th. 2001. So I woke up the next morning. I didn't have a job. I thought, you know, geez, I'll have to start my job search again. And, uh, and then you turn on the TV and the world had changed. And I realized uh, really in, in that moment that I was going to have to reinvent myself and have continued to do so. In the book, you say in today's world, reinventing yourself is not optional. What do you mean by that? 
Well, you know, one of the people that I interviewed for Reinventing You was a guy named Stephen Rice, who was a senior vice president of human resources at Juniper Networks in Silicon Valley. And he told me that he really believes that the fundamental skill, the foundational skill for workers today is adaptability. That if you have that, that is the ingredient for success because the world is changing so fast. Any job you're hired for now within two years and certainly within five years is going to look markedly different. And nowhere is that more true than in marketing. I mean, we've, we've been exposed to the rise of new platforms, new channels, all these things that we have to master. And so we need to reinvent ourselves. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have to change jobs or change careers, but it means that we need to have a fundamental attitude that is open to learning. You talk about three basic phases of the reinvention process, how you're perceived by others, determining what you want to be known by, and how do you manifest that brand? Can you unpack some of those? Yeah, absolutely. So the the first part you mentioned, Douglas, is uh, the importance of recognizing what your current brand is. Because you, I mean, it's, it's like navigating a, a ship or something, right? You can't get to your destination if you don't know what your starting point is. You wouldn't have any idea what, uh, you know, what path to take for it. So a lot of us assume we know what our current brand or reputation is, but we have, we have blind spots. And that's why it's so important to get the feedback of, of trusted people um, so that you can really understand how you're seen now and make a determination about whether that is, in fact, how you'd like to be seen or, you know, as is the case with most of us, honestly, uh, if there are changes that it would be useful to make. So once you've figured that out, it becomes a, a question then of the second phase, you know, figuring out what do you want your brand to be. And, you know, this is looking around you, looking, looking at examples of people that you admire and thinking through um, what it is specifically that you, uh, that you like about them and might want to emulate. This is uh, thinking about uh, any skills gaps that you might have. You know, is there, if there's a distance between where you are now and where you want to be, what do you need to do? Are there things that you need to learn, um, whether it's a technical skill or, you know, maybe getting better at something, getting better at, you know, delegation or getting better at uh, managing your direct reports. You know, all, all these things, uh, but it's, it's coming up with a future vision of yourself. And then third and finally, it's about living your brand. Because, you know, for a lot of people, they, they equate the idea of your brand with your elevator pitch. But it is so much more than that. Because your brand is not just what you say about yourself. It is the totality of the impression you're giving to other people. So you really have to live that out in a consistent way so that people get the message fully. It seems like how you're perceived is so much a bigger part of your brand than, than what you do say. Yeah, it's it's so it's so true. Um, I mean, in in fact, what you say about yourself is is one of the smallest pieces. Uh, you know, we, we've all heard the 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 quote, "Who who you are is screaming so loud, I I can hardly hear what you're saying," and I, I think that's very true. One of the things that came to mind when reading the book was the notion popularized by Wayne Gretzky, amongst others, where he said he never skated to where the puck was; he skated to where the puck was going. And there are so many industries where things are changing so quickly that if you are just keeping up, you're really going to have a problem. And it seems like the folks that are perhaps more proactive and can kind of see where an industry is going, like, for instance, in marketing, the increased necessity of being able to create a lot more content and being more analytically focused. 
is something where someone could look at that and say, I need to go through some reinvention here and I, I need to get ahead of things and, and go that direction. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Reinvention is a process where it is about having a forward-looking vision of where you want to be and, uh, as you say, skating toward that puck. There's another, a uh, few other parts of the book where you talk about staying relevant and competitive. People have to reinvent themselves to fit into the new context of work. That seemed to also point to that. Yeah, it's, I, I think that's right. In terms of how we're working, I mean, things, things really are changing. I mean, just to cite one example, something that, you know, certainly up until 10 years ago even, we didn't have to worry about was our online brand. You know, when we thought about, okay, your personal brand, well, that's, you know, what do your coworkers think of you? What do your friends think of you? Now, your personal brand, I mean, you still have to think about those things, but it, it also has become a question of what the world thinks about you. Because anytime someone is thinking about doing business with you, or hiring you, um, even interacting with you in some way. I mean, if you email me and say, hey, Dory, will you be on my podcast? You know, people are going to look you up online. And so it's, it's really managing and thinking through what is the perception that you are giving to other people through a wide variety of channels and making sure that we take control of that. What do you think is holding people back from reinventing themselves? Fear? Well, I think, I think that fear could be one piece of it. Um, I honestly think that, that probably what is holding people back from reinventing themselves um, in a lot of ways is, uh, is just the attitude that there is not enough time for it. And, you know, I, and I say the attitude that because I don't, I don't really want to accept the idea that there's not enough time, that you're too busy to reinvent yourself or, you know, or whatever. I'm actually just reading a uh, advanced copy of a book right now that's going to come out in June by a friend of mine named Laura Vanderkam called I Know How She Does It, How the Most Successful Women Manage Their Time. And she was literally looking at the time logs, you know, weekly time logs that she had a bunch of women who were you know, very successful professionally were keeping. And, you know, one thing that she realized, and this is true for men as well as women, uh, we have a very distorted sense of how we spend our time. You know, lots of people, you ask them, how much do you work? Oh, 70 hours, 80 hours a week. And it's literally, it's just not true. And there's more time than you think, but people are not deploying it strategically. And so some of the things that people might think are hard in terms of their reinvention, whether it's, you know, taking the time to take a class or to, you know, read a, a book a week or even a book a month to advance their professional knowledge, or, you know, lots of people know, like, oh, it'd be a good idea to, to start blogging about my industry. And they say, oh, I'm too busy. I can't do it. You know, you can do it in an hour a week. And we need to make the time for that. And we need to change our perception so that we can understand that it really is possible. When you hear about the time, I often think that it's really code for priorities. Yeah, absolutely. A point that Laura makes in the book, which I think is, is quite valuable, um, she was looking at one woman's time log. And, you know, this is terrible. I think all of us have, have had something like this happen to us. But during the week that the woman was recording her schedule, her water heater broke. And, you know, it's all, well, you know, floods the basement. You got to call the plumber. You got to do all this stuff. And it ended up taking seven hours out of this woman's week um, to clean up and dealing with the, with the service providers and things like that. And, you know, as Laura pointed out, <laughs> at the start of the week, if you said to this woman, do you have a spare seven hours? Of course, she's going to say no. And, but 
there was an emergency and she made it happen. And I think that's, that's the case for a lot of us that if we're really pressed, you, you make it happen. Mm-hmm. And some of your best work has probably been done on deadline. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's it, when I have too much time, it's uh, maybe more of a of a curse. But that just reminds me of, you know, they say if you want to uh, know where your money's going, write down what, everything you spend in a week. And the same thing for if folks would just write down what they're spending time on just for seven days. It can really be illuminating and, and very helpful and get them thinking about certain things. Absolutely. Just just the act of noticing can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you mentioned blogging, and there was one thing uh, from your book. You mentioned no one will believe you're serious unless you begin to create content that demonstrates your expertise. And this seemed particularly relevant for marketers. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, this, this is an area where I, I feel like for the people who are willing to engage in it, there can be a tremendous competitive advantage. I mean, you hear all these stories, right, about, oh, blogging's dead. No, nobody blogs anymore. Teenagers aren't blogging. And, you know, the, the, the great irony with that is that's exactly why you should blog. Because the reason teenagers are not blogging is that it is hard to blog. It is a lot easier to just snap a picture on Snapchat or Instagram and send it out. Um, it takes, you know, sometimes an hour, two hours to create a very thoughtful 700-word essay. But if you are doing that and fewer other people are doing it, um, you are going to, to stand out and you are going to be the one noticed because we all know that there's a, a, a huge difference in the number of people who consume content versus the number of people who create content. You want to be part of that small number whose content is being consumed by other people. Mm-hmm. And David Merriman Scott, he's known for saying on the web, you are what you publish. And that's so true. And there's even um, Tom Peters, who I believe you mentioned in the book, he, he talked about how just the act of blogging has been the most significant thing to his career in the last 10 years. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Douglas. And in fact, I have a, I have a new book that's uh, coming out in April called Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. And for it, I interviewed Seth Godin, who, uh, of course, is you know, a well-known marketer, well-known blogger. And one of the points that he, that he made, he told me, I asked, this just you know, stands out in my mind, um, he said, I don't have to blog, I get to blog. And he views it as, a, as this privilege, as this opportunity that he has to refine his ideas to communicate with people. And he said, you know, he just really doesn't get it why people who, you know, if, if we say to the world, you know, hey, you have this opportunity, you can blog too, and they choose not to do it, um, he thinks it's a massive wasted opportunity. It's true. It's like the person who doesn't read books versus the person who can't read books. It's just a, a real lost opportunity. There are so many great examples in your book about people who have reinvented themselves. Can you talk about just one? Sure. There's, uh, there are a lot to choose from, but you know, one, one that I'll mention that I think um, really stands out in my mind as being someone who took an adverse circumstance and made it into something great is a guy named Craig Delapena. Craig was, uh, like me, I guess you could say he was laid off from his job. He was given this, this ultimatum by his uh, organization. Um, he was a professional rail trail advocate, you know, the, uh, the conversion, uh, the converted uh, railroad lines to pedestrian or bicycle paths. So he was an advocate uh, for this. And his organization said, you can either move to another state 
because we're closing your field office or you can quit. And so he didn't want to move. Um, so he was out of, he was out of luck. He was out of a job. And at that point, a lot of people would have just given up. And even though he had a dream job and he really loved it, a lot of people would have said, well, you know, that's it. I had my dream job. I guess I'll have to do something else now because he, you know, he wasn't an accountant. He wasn't, uh, even a, you know, a marketer where you can transfer those skills to other things. He was a professional rail trail advocate, but Craig was very strategic and really looked beneath the surface in terms of the assets that he had available to him. And so he and his wife had always wanted to open a bed and breakfast. And they said, well, maybe this is the moment. So they bought a house and turned it into a bed and breakfast. And it was right next to a rail trail, literally right next to it. And so he began marketing it to the, the friends and community members he had who were in the rail trail community. And they immediately filled it up. It became their vacation destination of choice. And it was successful and profitable from the beginning because he had this base of fans that he was able to tap. So that was the first thing. Second thing was he listened. He listened to his market. And so many of them said, oh, I wish I could live near a rail trail. This is so great. And so he ended up getting his real estate license and starting a real estate business focused on selling homes next to rail trails. And through that, he's been able to become very financially successful, more so than he was before. And he continues his advocacy in his spare time. That's a great story. I really enjoyed reading about that one. One other point that you make in the book that I think is worth repeating is that this reinvention should not be considered a one-and-done effort. It's an ongoing evolution that you should continue to pay attention to. Yeah, it's, it's very true. It's not every day that we're going to have a huge reinvention in our life. You know, maybe it's just a few times that, you know, if you change careers or something like that. But <laughs> if you're not Dory Clark. That's right. For me, maybe a little more often than that. <laughs> but reinvention as a practice, reinvention as a way of life and of seeing the world, that is something that we can and should be doing all the time uh, because that keeps us sharp keeps us fresh, keeps us from falling behind. And that is what enables us to be ready in those moments, in those liminal moments that arise when we need to make a big reinvention. I'd like to mention that at the end of the book, well worth the price of admission, was the reinvention self-assessment, which helps you walk through this notion of reinventing yourself. And I would hope that readers would see that and realize it's not such a scary thing. It's just a process you need to go through. Thank you, Douglas. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And in fact, the reinvention self-assessment toolkit uh, is available for free on my website, doryclark.com. So if folks are interested, they can, uh, they can download it there on the uh, Reinventing You page. Well, I didn't want to mention that, but since you did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can buy the book too. But <laughs> the, the free toolkit. You mentioned in the book something that Bill Gates does called reading vacations. Can you just touch on that briefly about what a reading vacation is? Yes, yes. This was uh, a concept that I first read about in a book by Stephen Johnson called "Where Good Ideas Come From." And that's a, a book that I would certainly recommend to your listeners as well. We'll include that in the show notes, definitely. Oh, cool. But yes, so, uh, so Stephen Johnson talks about this practice that, that Bill Gates does, and uh, I think it it's, sounds very worthwhile, which is uh, these reading vacations. So apparently twice a year, Bill Gates literally just goes away for a week and binge reads, and he takes a stack of books that he's been wanting to read, and he just plows through them. 
And the, the goal of doing this is, uh, is actually, he, he believes, that the act of doing a lot of reading all at once and juxtaposing the different types of books and ideas and concepts and genres keeps him more creatively fresh. And so he uh, has found it very valuable and has continued that as an ongoing practice in his life, uh, which he feels spurs innovation. Well, I'd like to think maybe that works too. Other folks uh, may want to consider that as well. Before we wrap up, let me ask you a few other questions. Are there any marketing books you've read recently that you recommend? Yeah, you know, I actually just read one, um, which I, I, I blog for Forbes. And um, so I uh, am frequently reading business books or interviewing business authors. And so I just read a book, which I wrote about for Forbes, uh, by a, a friend of mine named Noah Fleming, who wrote a book called Evergreen. And it is a book about how to keep your customers loyal. And uh, I think that's really interesting and useful for every marketer. And he raises the point that a lot of people think about mar marketing and they think, okay, marketing is about customer acquisition. But he argues that we need to really broaden the definition that we are missing out a lot if we just focus on getting new people uh, because marketing is also about keeping the people that we have and uh, we need to think about it holistically. It's also less expensive. Unfortunately, so many companies think about closing that sale and then ignoring their customers. Or worse, closing the sale, irritating their customers, and ignoring them. So true. So <laughs> true. Are there any marketing books on your upcoming reading list? Well, you know, one, one that I actually have on my uh, Kindle is Growth Hacker Marketing by Ryan Holiday. I was actually mentioning to you earlier before we started recording that I had met Ryan Holiday this past summer when we went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina together to, uh, we were participating in a program sponsored by an organization called American Dream U, and we were both speaking to service members who were transitioning out of the military. But I, I've previously read Ryan's book, The Obstacle is the Way, which is uh, his book about stoicism. And so I interviewed him last month for my Forbes blog. But uh, I had not yet read his marketing book, Growth Hacker Marketing. So I'm uh, looking forward to getting to that one. I know there'll be some good insights in it. That sounds very interesting. Which marketing blogs do you enjoy following? One of my favorites is Mitch Joel's. He does the Six Pixels of Separation blog and podcast as well. And I always feel like his insights are really thoughtful and, and thorough. Uh, he's somebody who keeps me very up-to-date in the marketing world. The other thing is I subscribe to uh, a daily email called Smart Brief on social media, which is useful for keeping me up on the latest social trends. That's a great idea. And there are actually a few other Smart Briefs, and they are very carefully curated. And if you don't have a lot of time, that's one way to get super concentrated, great information every day. Yeah, absolutely. Dory, how can listeners find out more about you and your book? So my website, where people, in addition to getting the free reinvention toolkit. <laughs> and buy the uh, book. And buy the book, that's right. They, there's also more than 400 free articles that I've written on my website. So um, hopefully there's a lot of resources for folks that are interested. And there's also a, a newsletter that people can subscribe to if they'd like. The uh, website address is doryclark.com, D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. And uh, I'm on Twitter, at Dory Clark. And my books are Reinventing You and Stand Out. Well, we're looking forward to that next one as well. Dory, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Douglas. Well, that's a wrap. Links to everything we talked about in this episode are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. 
And while there, make sure to subscribe to the podcast newsletter so you can get each episode's show notes, links, and other resources emailed directly to your inbox on Fridays when each episode is published. I'd like to thank everyone who has left an iTunes review. I really appreciate all the feedback and encouragement. And the more reviews the show gets, the more exposure it gets on iTunes so that more people like you can find it. So let me ask you a question. Read any good books lately? I'd love to hear from you and get your recommendations. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and send me a message. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Till next time. She has been named to the Huffington Post's 100 most See, with a podcast, you can redo this. <laughs> she has been named to the Huffington Post's 100 must-follow on Twitter list.